Well, good morning, church family. For those of you who have not had the privilege of meeting, my name is Corey. I serve as one of the pastors here at PV, and we're so glad that you're here with us here in the worship center, as well as those of you who are joining us online. A special shout out to my family. I have family members watching from Colorado and Wyoming and across the state over in St. Louis. Welcome. Uh, if you're here, perhaps for the first time, we just want to say welcome, and you are welcome here. And perhaps for some of you, this is actually the first time that you've ever been in a church building, and that's okay. And you're welcome as well. Uh, we would love to connect with you if you want to fill out the communication card just to let us know that you, you're visiting or if you want to join us in the back of the worship center after the service, that would be great. We'd love just to get to know your story a little bit better and tell you more about who we are as a church and what it is that we believe in. So kind of shift gears a little bit. Uh, I want to ask a couple of summer questions for you. How many of you like s'mores? Okay, very good. That was, let me, how about a round of applause if you like s'mores? Okay, that's good. Well, if you like s'mores and you like free s'mores, I've got a deal for you. We've got boxes of s'more kits out in the commons, and this is actually an opportunity for us to use it as a tool for outreach as a way to invite our neighbors in creatively, and it's also a way for me to avoid having to go to Price Chopper to find where do they keep the marshmallows. I can never find the marshmallows. So we have these s'more kits that are boxed up. It's part of our Neighborhoods to Nations initiative. We had 100 boxes made, and 52 of them are already gone. So you have 48 left. If you go out and are gone. We'll bring some more back next week. But we're going to be doing this throughout the summer just as a way to encourage and engage our neighborhoods in kind of a fun and simple way. Also, uh, several weeks ago, we did a, a survey with some middle school students and some high school students, and uh, we're going to report back to you some of the findings about some of the challenges that they are experiencing in their own life. And we are inviting the whole church to come to that, and there's an informational slide here that's going to be popping up on June 18th. It's called Facing Life Challenges from 9 to 11 a.m., and it's what our preteens and our teens are saying right now. This is honest feedback that we want to invite our church back into to have a conversation so that we can have a conversation moving forward and support in the very best ways possible. So speaking of students, uh, I'm going kind of business super casual today because this is the Summerfest 2022 shirt. We have 280 students and 70 leaders getting ready to go to Summerfest on Tuesday. We are so excited. I get to go down uh, this week. My wife and I are going to go down and just hang out. It's going to be awesome. And uh, they're going to Shepherd of the Ozarks in northern Arkansas. The state of Arkansas will never be the same after we are done with them here in a week. And I do want to invite our entire church family, if you could be in prayer specifically for the hearts and the minds of our students, of our leaders, of the camp staff, of our drivers, uh, everyone involved in this. This is a huge, huge deal. Also for our staff that you would give uh, us wisdom as we just want to do everything that we can to invite people into a deeper understanding and a, and a more meaningful uh, relationship with Christ as this is going to be a Summerfest experience that we hope will be incredible. So we're expecting uh, an amazing experience and we will report back once we get back on Saturday, okay? All right, we're gonna go ahead and get started with our message today. Pastor Merle and Karen, by the way, they're out this weekend. They're enjoying some rest, and so we're grateful that they have the opportunity to do that. And, and today, uh, I wanna share with you uh, 
to get started kind of a story that also has to do with northern Arkansas. When I was in middle school, I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and so when I was in middle school, we took this really cool baseball trip uh, with my team in, in middle school, and we, we drove from Cheyenne, Wyoming, all the way to Harrison, Arkansas. It's in the northwest corner of the state, and it could have been Mars for me because I was so far away from home as a middle schooler. My parents weren't with me, and uh, we stayed in host homes, and I stayed with the Moore family, M-O-O-R-E. You ask me, how do I remember that? Well, they owned a little small sports store called Sports and Moore. I just remember that. I stayed with the Moors. They were wonderful, and uh, but I was introduced for the first time to what a Midwest all-night thunderstorm was. Because see, in Cheyenne, the wind's blowing 80 miles an hour in Cheyenne all the time. So you get these big thunderstorms, and then they just move right on through to Nebraska. And then all of a sudden, they just kind of pile up, and then uh, a terrifying all-night thunderstorm. And I, I didn't know what was going on because every two seconds, it was just flashing lightning outside of my window. And so here I was, you know, a 13-year-old in the middle of northern Arkansas, away from my family, and the house is literally shaking every couple of seconds because of the intensity of this storm. And we survived the evening. Uh, we got through the night. Uh, the, the baseball fields the next day were completely flooded, but we got through that as well. And overall, it was a great trip. But the one thing I remember, the emotion that I took away from that is just this feeling of helplessness, this feeling of being shook in this storm. And so maybe today, that's what you're feeling, a thunderstorm that you're worried about right now, but maybe there are storms of life that are inside of your soul that every two or three seconds it emerges and there's lightning that flashes and there's thunder that is rattling and shaking you. So today, my hope and my prayer is that this past will be one that is of comfort to you. And I know that, that this passage of Scripture, it's applicable to all of us because I believe that whether or not you are being shaken personally with the storms of life or perhaps you know somebody that is currently being shook by the storms of life, you can come alongside and share with them, regardless of those two circumstances, this passage of Scripture will be applicable to you, I believe. So if you have your Bible, I want you to encourage you to pull out your Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, or if you have like a Bible reading app, go to the book of James. And here is the passage of Scripture that we're going to be out of today. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." Now, it's fitting, real quickly, it's fitting that we're talking about our God being a consuming fire because today is Pentecost. Pentecost is the 50th day after Easter to signify the Holy Spirit that came down onto the church for the first time, and you can read about that in the book of Acts. But today is the day that we celebrate Pentecost, our God being a consuming fire. And he says, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by angels as guests without knowing it, remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have 
For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, which this sermon was inspired by the song Promises that Chase just sang at the end of Lord's Supper. The word that kept emerging for me is this word steadfast. And I was thinking about what in our life right now, outside of the hope of Christ, is steadfast completely loyal to its followers. I still haven't found the answer because there is nothing else that is steadfast outside of Christ. And so today's key point, if there's, if there's one thing that you write down or you take a quick picture of the screen, if there's one thing that I want you to walk away with, it's, it's this phrase right here. And it says that our confidence, our assurance, and our hope in this life and the life that is to come is made possible because of the steadfastness of Christ and the invitation to become steadfast in Christ. Now, a few days ago, as I was thinking through this particular passage of Scripture, I kept thinking, okay, Lord, I know that you're steadfast, and how is it that we can continue to experience more of your steadfastness? And that's what I was thinking. I kept thinking, what are some of the ways? And so I got my three points and it was ready to go. And then on Tuesday morning, I woke up and it was this kind of revelation in my mind and my heart of like, it isn't just about what it is that we're doing to experience. It's also the invitation for us to become more steadfast in Christ. And this is what I believe that the author of the book of Hebrews was trying to teach these, this group. And this group was the church. This was, this was the church and it was written in the mid of the temple. This was a church that was a generation past the resurrection of Christ. So even the author, it's, there's evidence that shows that this author did not have direct contact with Christ, but rather that it was from spoken word and it was brought to this person who was then exhorting the followers of Christ through the church. So this is a body of believers that the author of Hebrews is writing to, and this is actually not necessarily a letter. It's actually more of a sermon. So if you were to read through it from beginning to end, Hebrews 1 to 13, this is basically a sermon given to the church that these were Christian fleeing from persecution. They were shaking from sin. And even more dangerously, they were beginning to drift to their old ways. They were thinking backwards to the comfort of the old covenant the covenant that they knew of and heard of, the covenant that was their reality before the reality by the cultural storms that they were encountering every day. And they were wavering in and wrestling with the new and better covenant that was found through the promise, through the crucifixion, through the resurrection of Christ. They were feeling threatened because the momentum that they were gaining against them and this church was in deep need of encouragement and exhortation to endure. I believe that the author is trying to do two things with this letter slash sermon to the church. First, he intended to elevate Jesus with every word. And we can see this within the first three verses of Hebrews chapter one, where he says this, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. So he's referring and acknowledging to the old ways, the old practices in the old covenant. 
In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is the first three sentences of this particular book, the opening of this letter, of this sermon to the reader. So he makes it very clear that his desire is to elevate Jesus. But then secondly, throughout the rest of the book of Hebrews, his goal is to exhort the readers, to call them to action, to speak to this body of believers, to say, it is time for you to And we see this, that uh, through even the simple word of therefore, which there are 16 therefores in the book of Hebrews, and we know that whenever you come across the word therefore in a passage of scripture, what do you think? What is the therefore? Therefore. And that typically means that you've got to go backwards to see what is the context of this therefore. Well, there are 16 therefores in Hebrews, so it's almost like he's saying, let's make sure that we're looking therefore, referring back to the old ways, the old covenant. And in Hebrews 2.1, he says this, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. The author is sensing a drifting that is occurring within the The book of Hebrews is a message for a persecuted church and a wavering people in a shaken society to affirm them and to challenge them to stay true to their commitment to Christ. This was a plea for the church to renew their hearts and their minds in the steadfastness of Christ and a re-invitation in Christ. Throughout Scripture, we see that the steadfastness of Christ is undeniable. But what is it that we need to do to become more firm and immovable and resolute and steadfast in Christ? Well, as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we unpack it, as it relates to applying it to our own life, there are three ways that we can become more steadfast in Christ. And the first way is, in order for us to become more steadfast in Christ, is that we need to be walking by faith. In Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, the first two verses again, it says, therefore, since we are receiving, now let's stop there, this phrase, since we are receiving, he's basically saying, we're going to be receiving it. So just that in and of itself, faith in what is to come. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Because by it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So he, he puts it right there out in front of him. He says, therefore, we are already receiving it. Live by faith. But then I ask the question, what is faith? What's a definition of faith? J.D. Greer, who is a pastor and an author, he says that faith is relatively simple. It believes that God exists, and that obeying him is worth it. Think about it, it's true. It believes that God did exist, that God exists. There is a God, he does exist. That may not mean that we have to understand everything about God. Of course, we will never fully understand everything about God. And that obeying him is worth it, especially compared to uh, not obeying him. So we have to look at, is there a God? Is, in its most simple form, a definition of faith. 
And then Hebrews 11, verse one, if you back up one chapter, it says that now faith is the reality or the assurance of what is hoped for. It is the proof or the conviction of what is not seen. Perhaps that's a verse that's familiar to you. And the, the Greek word there for faith, and what he's saying in, the, in this translation of the word hypostasis is that faith is the assurance or the evidence. It's the sediment or the foundation. This is the root of things that are not yet seen, but the assurance of what is to come. Now, uh, another word that can be translated with the word. Now, if you got a FedEx package in your mail tomorrow, and uh, there was something in it, it was a sheet of paper, and on the sheet of paper, you saw that it looked very official. It's got some signatures on it. It's got a border around it. There's like a timestamp up here. Uh, and you're looking at this, and as you start to read through it, you realize that it's not a piece of junk. It's a junk mail where they make it look like it's actual handwriting, but you know that a computer did it. Like, it's just junk mail. But this is an actual title deed. And this title deed actually came from a piece of property that now you are the rightful owner of, and you are the rightful owner of this piece of property that is located in like your dream area, the south side of the island of Kauai in the Poipu area. And if this was a title deed and it said lot and address and all of this, this is yours. You are now the rightful owner because of an inheritance that you have received from a long lost uncle or aunt. You are now the rightful owner of this piece of property. Would you investigate this a little bit more? Or would you say, you know what, good. No, 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 no. Well, I would investigate it. In fact, you may want to travel over to Poipu and show up for the, the handing off of the keys for you because now you own this title deed. You own this piece of property. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about. This is the assurance that we have in Christ. Uh, not only the salvation of our sins and the peace in the present, but the hope for our future. We have the title. The title deed has already been established. This is the spiritual ownership that we're invited to take in our relationship with Christ. So it's one thing to understand the definition of faith, but what about the source of faith? Where is the source of our faith? Well, Romans 10, 17, Paul says it clearly. He says this, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. And there is one source for the message about Christ, it starts in Genesis 1 and moves all the way through Revelation. This is the message of Christ. So we know what faith is. Now we know where the source of our faith is. It's found in the word that, is, that was heard and now is read in the Bible. And then the proof of faith, the, the uh, author of Hebrews gives us a full hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. This is not the hall of fame, Hebrewstown. This is the hall of faith that is found in Hebrews 11. And perhaps you're familiar with this, and I know that you're gonna be familiar with some of the names that the author talks about. We're not gonna read the whole chapter, but here are some of the names. Abel, Abraham, Sarah, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Gideon, Rahab, Samson, David, Samson, Samuel, and many other prophets. And what the author is bringing as he's writing about the faithfulness, the faith-filled lives of these heroes of the faith for this church. So he's acknowledging the heroes of the faith that were a part of the old way, the old covenant, and he's bringing it forward to their new reality after the new covenant had been established. What's so interesting about Hebrews 
11 is the last seven verses. Let's read this here. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. These faithful people, women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others, these heroes of the faith, others experienced mockings and scourging, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, skins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. These faithful people, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us Let's back up here just a second. All of this, this explanation of these faithful people, but that was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. What is the author referring to? The author is referring to the fact that although he talks about the word faith or faithful 28 times just in chapter 11 alone, these heroes of the faith, because they did not receive or experience Christ himself, their faithfulness was actually incomplete compared to the receipt of the faithfulness that is given to us because of the resurrection of Christ. So what he's doing here is he's acknowledging these incredibly faithful people. Only until the fulfillment that is found in Christ are these faithful people actually made complete. So this is the exhortation to the church. My question for you today is, how is your faith? How is your assurance? What is your faith in? Is it steadfast or is it shaken? So not only does the writer of Hebrews encourage us to be walking by faith, but he also moves on and he says that we need to surrender to ourself that is self-centered and self-focused. But we see that surrender is actually the outcome of a deepening of faith. So whatever faith that we have that we can bring to a relationship with God, as a result of that, as a deepening of that faith occurs, that will then result in more self to a life that is faithful. David Platt says this, the life of a Christian is always costly for those who are actually following Christ. So if you don't feel like you're really counting the cost, perhaps it's because maybe you need to be following Christ in just the areas that feel comfortable right now. And this is a challenge for me. This was a sermon that as I was writing it, I, I realized that the message needed to be heard by me first when I was writing this. This is a very convicting passage of Scripture, and it's intended to be. It's intended to elevate Christ, but also to exhort Christ. We will gain more and more confidence in who we are surrendering our life to. Now, I want to do something here just a little bit differently. I want to, I want to read a psalm of surrender to you. Uh, perhaps nowhere more consistently in the Bible is this whole notion of surrender 
of 50 Psalms, this theme and this notion of surrender. And so I'm gonna read this short psalm to you. It's only eight verses. It's Psalm 121. And what I want you to do, just to kind of engage with you, is I want you to close your eyes and I want you to receive it and think about the words that David is saying here as he is surrendering his life once again to the supremacy of God. Listen to this. I live in mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going, both now and forever. And what the author of Hebrews does here in chapter 13 is he brilliantly builds in five of what it means to surrender. And these five practical steps are verses one through five. And if if you read through this, you'll notice that that these five practical steps, these exhortations to uh, to be living a life of more surrender, it's rooted in love. The first four are love for one another and then the something else. And you'll, you'll hear that here just in a second. So it says this, the brotherly love continues. So first, Second, don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as those you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Now, this isn't just about taking things to someone in prison. This is actually associating yourself with a prisoner of actually bearing the weight and the burden of their sin that caused them to go to prison. That's what he's talking about here. Third, marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. And then finally, the thing to avoid from a love standpoint is keep your life free from the love of money. So the author gives us these five practical steps of what it means to surrender. And as our faith grows in Christ, so too our love will grow for others. But... If we aren't willing to surrender, ultimately, we're not willing to deepen our faith to be deepened. My encouragement to you is to ask yourself first the question, what is it that you're willing to surrender? And we see uh, from the words of Jesus that a surrendered life is a shared life. He talks about this in the book of Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. He says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, oftentimes, this is a verse of comfort, and it is a verse of comfort, but it's important that we continue on. He says, take my yoke upon, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, no 1045, walk away from the burden and be good with that. That's not what he's talking about. The word yoke, there's a picture of a yoke. And of course, this is, this is a, a farm tool that was used to yoke two oxen together. There's not one place for, uh, there's not one side of the yoke. You have to have two sides of the yoke for it to be effective. What Christ is saying here in this passage is, come with me. My yoke is easy and my burden is life, but you're gonna share your burden with me and we're gonna walk through this 
together. This is not about depositing your problems and then walking away. This is about yoking with Christ. This is a shared commitment. He also says in Luke 9, 23 through 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And of course, Christ is expressing here the salvation of our sins. He was yoked with our sins on the cross. And this is what he was expressing in vivid detail and covenant renewal and reminder for the disciples at that first Lord's Supper three days before he was crucified and then resurrected. To surrender to him more, and in that process, we are then able to deepen our faith. The third and final way that the author is exhorting us in the book of Hebrews here in chapters 12 and 13 is for us to, in order for us to live a life where we are steadfast in Christ is to live a life where we are living at the pace of grace. Now, this is, this is very, very difficult for me. This was a hard one to jot down uh, because I am not a slow person. Some might say that I'm slow in some ways, and that's fine. But like, I, I eat fast. I like the left lane on I-70 versus the right lane. I really like when people in the left lane that are in front of me actually obey the law and move over to the right side. Uh, but I am someone who I think fast, and I know that that is something where it's very difficult for me to slow. But because the grace of Christ is available to us yesterday for our sins, today for our circumstances, and tomorrow for our hope, there is no rush. There is no rush in that, that grace, the pace of grace. Now, as a runner and, and things here, because um, uh, for those of you who have never run a marathon, I want to offer some context. The distance of a marathon, do you guys know where Ikea is south, like in Kansas? From here to the parking lot to Ikea, that's 25 miles. So run to Ikea and then go another 1.2. That's the distance. Now, here's the deal. How many of you have been to Ikea? Round of applause if you've been to Ikea. Okay. I think we've got the map of Ikea here because congratulations, if you've been to Ikea and if you've walked in Ikea, you have completed a marathon because I am more exhausted walking out of an Ikea than I am at the end of a marathon. I get a medal and some shock of milk, but at the end of Ikea, you get a receipt and instructions for a five-hour project that afternoon to put together their furniture for you. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. So if you've been to Ikea, you basically have run a marathon. Now, with running and the pacing of a marathon is so vitally important because there is something that happens physiologically to your body at mile 20, and it is called the wall. And it literally feels like a physical brick wall. It's where your sugar and your hydration has been depleted, and you are now approaching this kind of mythical, mystical, but feels very physical reality of a wall. In life, if we are going alone, if we are not nourished, if we are moving at a pace that is not aligned with God's pace of grace, we will also hit a wall. So my questions for you is, how is your current pace? Have you hit a wall? Are you running alone? Are you, are you depending on your own sufficiency on God's grace? Because see, in Hebrews 13, six through eight, it says, be satisfied with what you have. Slow down, 
Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. There's no rush there. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate your, their faith. And this, this is the verse. This is the verse that assures God's grace in every phase of our life. Jesus Christ, church, his grace is sufficient because his grace is steadfast. It's immovable. It's the title deed. It's the guarantee of your inheritance. It's steadfast. And it pursues us yesterday, today, and forever. We're going to wrap up our service today in worship. But this is going to be an opportunity for you to sit with a few points and a song that is sung by John and Chase and played along with by Cassidy. They're going to come out here, and there's going to be three things up on the screen. I want to encourage you to reflect on which one of these three truths is it that you need to walk away with today knowing fully well that Scripture has guaranteed this. Is it the fact that yesterday his grace covers our sins? Or do you need to be assured that today his grace comforts our hearts? Or do you need to have affirmation that tomorrow his grace confirms our hope?
to see in the book of Hebrews and all throughout scripture that Jesus is steadfast. He's steadfast when things are broken. He's steadfast when things are incomplete. He's steadfast when things are chaotic. Steadfast when things are unplanned. When they're hopeless. When they're frantic. When they're splintered. When they're unclear. He's steadfast even when we don't believe it fully. He's steadfast because he loves you. And in that hope, in that love, even when we are not steadfast or experiencing the true steadfastness of his love, we can be assured in Scripture time and time and time again, Jesus is steadfast yesterday, today. As a closing benediction, I want to invite you to stand with me. And this will be our closing passage of Scripture. And it's just a little bit earlier in Hebrews 6. It's right in the middle of the book of Hebrews, this, this book of, of elevation of Christ and exhortation to the believers. And he says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This hope enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become our and in church, go in peace, love one another, live at the pace of grace. You're dismissed.